So the question I left you with is if Hitler is at the pearly gates asking to be led into heaven, should he be led into heaven? Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a true Christian and you follow the doctrine, if you follow the teachings and the practices of Jesus Christ, the answer is yes, if he repents. If Hitler repents, then yes, the answer is yes. So if you're a true believer, Hitler, Adolf Hitler, could actually be in in heaven right now if he truly repented for his crimes, for his evil. And he was an evil man. There's no doubt about it. So you got to go back to this whole BLM thing, Black Lives Matters versus the phrase All Lives Matters. I'll tell you what, I have a hard time sometimes saying All Lives Matters because I look at it and go, wait a minute, does Jeffrey Dahmer's life matter? Did it matter? Uh, Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, all these evil names that we know throughout history, Benito, Benito Mussolini, right? I mean, these are horrible, horrible men. Karl Marx. Lenin, Stalin, all of these men, if they got to, to the pearly gates, so to speak, and they repented, do their lives matter? Should they be allowed in heaven? And if you are a true believer in Christ's teachings, and I don't get too much into religion on this podcast, but logically, you have to say yes. So if you elevate Black Lives Matters above all other lives, you're doing exactly what the Black Lives Matters movement people slash are saying was done to them, that you're elevating other lives over them. That has been their biggest issue with all of this, that blacks are not put on the same level as everybody else. And that's wrong. Everybody should be at the same level. I think racism is wrong. I think white supremacy is wrong. I don't believe racism is, uh, well, I won't say I don't believe in racism because it does exist, but I, I don't believe one race is genetically superior to another. I just don't. And that is the true definition of racism. Now, the left is going to try to thwart that or twist that to where you know they want to throw in prejudice, they want to throw in bigotry, but no, those are different definitions. Racism is the inherent belief that one race is genetically superior to another. And they're not. Because genetically, there's very little that separates us. Very little. Now, culturally, that's a whole other story. Is one culture superior to another culture? In my opinion, yes. Therefore, I am a bigot. I'm a bigot. I wear it proudly. I'm a bigot. Do I believe one culture is superior than another? You're absolutely right I do. I'm a bigot. I admit it. Wear it on my sleeve. Call me a bigot. I'll smile because I'm a bigot. You know what? So are you. Yeah, yeah, you're a bigot. And so is the person. Let's see if you're driving in your car, listening to this. Look over to your right. Look over to your left. All those people you see, they're all bigots. We're all bigots. We cannot not be bigots. Our human nature tells us, dictates us that we are bigots. You know why? Because we are not perfect. We are all sinners. We all cannot be perfect. It's not in our nature. We would all love to be, for those of you who are Christian, Jesus Christ. Maybe he was the only individual on this planet who wasn't a bigot. But all of us, we're all sinners. We all are bigots in some way, shape, or form. There's some more bigots than others.
Some bigots for stupid reasons. Like if you dislike a certain group because of the music they listen to, that's stupid. But you're a bigot. I mean, you know, just because they like some kind of music and you don't doesn't mean what they like is wrong. It's just what they like versus what you like. I like all kind of music except, uh, you know, most country. But I like some country. I mean, there's not one genre of music that I absolutely can say I I cannot stand. I can listen just about any genre, any genre of music. In fact, I, I love listening to multi-genres of music, but I like one over another. I prefer certain types of music over other music, so therefore I'm a bigot. I prefer certain cultures over other cultures, therefore I'm a bigot. Anyway, uh, I find it interesting that the BLM movement um, got rid of that page, and it just it's telling. It's very, very telling. That's a shift. That's a shift in the political landscape of the Black Lives Matters movement. Now, it's a small shift. It's a nuanced shift, but it's an important shift. So watch what happens now, because now we're almost done with the election, by the way. We've got 40 some days left of the election. And what you're going to see happen after the election is I bet you, you will see the riots stop, BLM go away, Antifa go away. And we start getting on with things because this happens in every presidential election. And if Trump wins in a landslide, oh, man, it's going to happen more. I don't believe what you're going to you're hearing other people saying there's going to be riots and violence. I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that is these are paid players. These are players paid to play and paid to be out there. And once Trump is reelected, it's solidified, it's done. The payments stop, as do the riots. It's all about the money. Yeah, I don't get any proof and all that. This is anecdotal. This is just my opinion, and we'll see what happens. We only got less than two months. We'll see it play out. I mean, you'll still see the foaming left out there rail against Trump. You know, you're going to see that a lot. But if Trump wins in a landslide, he's going to have a mandate. And if he has a mandate, and I mentioned this on the previous podcast, that is what scares the left more than everything else. If he has a solid mandate to do what he wants to do. And now one thing we have seen from this president is he does what he says, says what he does. And that's what scares the left. You know, it's that whole promises made, promises kept thing that he does. And Trump is pretty shrewd about this because one of the things that the left rails on about is how he didn't complete the wall. Well, if he gets elected to the second term, my guess is that wall is going to start going up a lot faster. All right. Well, let's let's pivot and talk a little bit about uh, there's a Senate report that just recently came out. This is from uh, John Solomon's Just the News. Senate report slams Biden's for conflicts of interest, flags possible criminal activity. So a year-long Senate investigation concluded Wednesday that Hunter Biden's efforts to cash in on a foreign business deals during his father's vice presidency raised alarm among U.S. government officials who perceived an ethical conflict of interest and flagged concerns about possible criminal activity ranging from bribery to sex trafficking. The long-awaited joint report by the GOP-led Senate Homeland and Government Affairs and Senate Finance Committee delivered several blockbuster revelations less than two months before the election, suggesting Obama administration officials ignored clear warning signs about ethical conflicts and possible extortion risk involving Joe Biden's family. 
It says here, perhaps the most explosive revelation was that the U.S. Treasury Department flagged payments collected overseas by Hunter Biden and business partner Devon Archer for possible illicit activities. Now, the left is going to dismiss this. They're going to dismiss this because it was GOP-led. But it goes on. The so-called suspicious activity reports flagged millions of dollars in transactions from the Ukrainian gas company Burisma Holdings, a Russian oligarch named Yelena Baturina, and Chinese businessmen with ties to Beijing's communist government, the report said. Senate investigators have yet to determine if the FBI or others investigated the concerns. Oh, my goodness. So it goes on. The Treasury reports required by the chairman showed potential criminal activity related to transactions among and between Hunter Biden, his family, and his associates with Ukrainian, Russian, Kazakh, Kazakh and Chinese nationals. The 87-page report disclosed, confirmed an early report in Just News. So now, will the, what will the left do? The left will say nothing. They'll try to divert attention on this. They'll just say it was partisan effort, that it was GOP-led. They're just trying to use this for um, election purposes. And hey, you know what? Maybe that's so. Maybe so. Uh, but this does not look good for Biden. Now, I, honestly, if you brought this up to Biden, he probably doesn't know anything about it. And not that he didn't know anything about it. He's probably forgotten everything about this. But the report, and I'll put this article in my show notes. It goes on and on and on, kind of outlaying it. So here's a couple of it. The Senate investigators flagged transactions in at least three other foreign countries. Here it is. Archer, this is from Devon Archer, received 142300 from uh, some group purportedly for a car. The same day, Vice President Joe Biden appeared with Ukrainian Prime Minister, I won't say his name because it's too difficult, and addressed Ukrainian legislators in Kyiv regarding Russia's actions in China. Another bullet. Hunter Biden received a $3.5 million wire transfer from Elena Baturina, the wife of the former mayor of Moscow, Russia's only female oligarch. Bullet number four or three, Hunter Biden opened a bank account with Chinese national Gongwen Dong to fund a $100,000 global spending spree for the Biden family. And the next bullet, Hunter Biden had business associates with uh, Yi Jiaming, Gongwen, and other Chinese nationals linked to the communist government and the People's Liberation Army. Those associations resulted in millions of dollars in cash flow, the report said. So this doesn't look good for the Bidens. Now, it, most of us, myself, people, you, you, you know the Bidens ha have their hands in the cookie jar. I mean, they've enriched their family. So this will go nowhere. This will say nothing. Nothing will happen to this. But what it should absolutely do is it should derail Biden's presidential ambitions. It really should. I mean, we have him flat in with foreign governments and his son being enriched. And this character, this Devin uh, Archer character, this dude's a real character. Apparently, this guy has been involved in quite a lot of nefarious activities, one being that um, they defrauded some Indian uh, tribe. Let's see if I can find that. I had this pulled up. But it basically got caught up in this defraud where... They they set up um, 
Let me see if I can find this real quick because I had it pulled up and oh, lost it. But this guy, this Devin Archer has been involved in a lot. He's a longtime business partner of Hunter Biden. And in fact, in 2008, Hunter joined with Archer, a former senior advisor for the presidential campaign of John Kerry in 2004. And a string of investment and consulting firms, the Wall Street Journal reported in May 2014 that the two had joined the board of Burisma. So this guy was also on the board of Burisma along with uh, Hunter Biden. So with that, uh, you know, you've got these two yahoos doing all kind of deal. Archer and Biden also work together as managing partners at Rosemont Seneca Partners, a Washington investment fund. Uh, Archer and Biden also regularly partnered with Christopher Hines, Archer's roommate at Yale University and Carrie's John Kerry's stepson. So well, here's here's I'm finding the story now. While Joe Biden was vice president, firms run by his son and Archer pursued business with international entities that had a stake in American foreign policy decisions. Now, Hunter Biden has no experience in this, none whatsoever. But Archer was implemented in a 2018 case where they defrauded a tribal entity and pension funds of tens of millions of dollars. He was actually convicted but it was later overturned two of the individuals went to jail two of them were caught red-handed these are his business partner enriching themselves with cars with homes and uh this devon archer was all part of that and he was also convicted but it was overturned because the judge said that there wasn't enough so it was later overturned for securities fraud because the federal judge on Thursday, this is from an article, U.S. judge overturns New York man's conviction in tribal bond scheme. That was Devin Archer. A federal judge on Thursday overturned the conviction of a US New York man. Again, they don't name him. It's Devin Archer. That's who it was. On charges that he helped run a scheme to defraud a Native American tribe and multi-pension funds through the issuing of $60 million worth of tribal bonds. So as you read into the story, it looks like a Ponzi scheme. So these four men went to this tribal uh, uh, group, this, this Native American tribe, and got them to buy into this bond scheme, and it was all fraud. The two men went to jail. This guy, Devon Archer, was implicated. He was convicted, but then it was overturned. So that's who Hunter Biden is in business with. Even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president. So go to Ballot Ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. From there, you can compare candidates based on the stances on issues, biography, or endorsements, and then save your choice to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on Election Day. This election matters. So make sure you are ready and you vote and you vote informed. So visit go to ballot.org, enter your address, Make sure that you vote and vote informed. That's who the Biden family associates with. And there's a photograph of this guy, Devon Archer, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, uh, on a golf course and another person. And again, this guy, this Devon Archer guy, was a business partner for Hunter Biden, all while Biden, Joe Biden, was a vice president. And they both got on the board of Burisma, paid on, you know, gobs of money for virtually nothing. And this is the Biden family. This is who they are. 
So the Biden family has enriched themselves during Joe Biden's 47 years in politics. And now you got the left trying to say this about the Trump children, and you, I just can't see it. I'd love to find it, but you show me where they've enriched themselves. I know the emolument clause is what the left tries to pull up, that um, <clears throat> a Trump is making money off of his hotels because he's president. The man, by all, by all accounts, has lost money. He's lost part of his fortune becoming president of the United States. And, you know, most presidents gain a fortune after they get out of office. Obama did. Obama's worth millions. The Clintons did. They're worth like over $100 million. Uh, George W. Bush went on the speaking tour, made quite a good amount of money. You don't hear too much about that. But that's typically what happens is presidents, once they're out of office, they get on a speaking tour, they make gobs of money. It's just the way it is. Do you think that's going to happen with Trump? Do you think Trump, once he's out of office, and he's not going to be out of office, left, you left us um, come January 20th, that's not going to happen. Trump's going to get reelected. So you got four years of Trump. Do we really believe after four years, when, when Trump leaves office, that somehow all of a sudden he's going to become richer? Is he going to get those billions of dollars back that he allegedly lost becoming president of the United States? Maybe. I don't know. But I don't see it like I've seen with like Obama, what I see with uh, the Clintons and even George H.W. Bush. Yeah, um, Trump could go on the speaking circuit, but that doesn't seem like that's his thing. So if he doesn't go on the speaking circuit, how is he going to enrich himself? Just crazy that the way the left thinks. All right, one last story, and then we'll get out of here uh, for today. President Trump just signed an executive order uh, that eliminates critical race theory in federal um, government. Now, what this means is that <clears throat> the critical race theory, which is being taught, and you may have saw this story where I, I think it was NASA had to put all of their executives through this critical race theory workshop. And in this workshop, it basically tells white people that they're bad. That they're the, they're really the problems that for all all of the uh, issues, it's all on the white man's hands. So you know what you had is you had a lot of government entities that would not do business with other entities unless they went through some kind of critical race theory, this critical race theory program. And so President Trump, through executive order, just banned it. So now they, and what he banned was that any, um, he signed a full, here's from Christopher F. Rufo did a Twitter feed on this that is absolutely phenomenal and it explains it all. And he said, the president has just signed a full executive order abolishing critical race theory from the federal government, the military, and all federal contractors. So the president has effectively declared war on critical race theory and extended the battlefield to all institutions. So what this means is that if you are any part of the federal government and you want to do business with any part of the federal government, that critical race theory cannot be a part of it. So if your company is involved in critical race theory, putting all their people through critical race theory, then you will not be doing um, business with the federal government. So Christopher Rufo, again, did a phenomenal Twitter feed on this, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes on this. And he goes on to begin, the president explains that our nation was founded on the ideal that all men are created equal and denounces critical race theories, pernicious and false belief that America is an irredeemably racist and sexist country. And that's what critical race theory teaches you. 
So the pre- Christopher goes on. The president writes that the malign ideology of critical race theory is now migrating from the fringes of American society and threatened to infect core institutions of the country. He cites my original reporting on the Treasury Department. This is from Christopher Rufo, uh, Argonne National Labs, and uh, Sandia Labs. The ambition of the executive order is breathtaking. The president will prohibit pre- federal funds from supporting critical race theory trainings in the federal government, in the military, and all federal contractors. The point on federal contractors is a major escalation. If a private company wants to work with the U.S. government, they can no longer teach critical race theory anywhere in their offices. This could potentially disrupt critical race theory programs in half of the Fortune 500 companies. That's huge. Absolutely huge. What President Obama, I'm sorry, President Trump just did because Obama would never do this. He just neutered this whole critical race theory nonsense. And it is nonsense. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you can. There's videos all over the internet of uh, people teaching this critical race theory nonsense, but basically white people are bad. They're, they're teaching white people to feel guilty about themselves. They're teaching white guilt. Now, here's what's crucial. This is, again, from Christopher Rufo's reporting. The executive or- order will also disrupt the flow of money to academia's critical race theory programs. The order stops all federal grants that support critical race theory with the potential to cripple hundreds of academic projects moving forward. That is huge so federal money comes out of this because it's been feeding it because if you ever seen, there's a video circulating uh, on the internet i've seen it recently pop up on twitter and i've seen it recently pop up on some other social media avenues that i'm on and it's this very large african-american woman who's in this very tight green bodysuit she's very large if i didn't mention it she's very large and very tight bodysuit. Very large in a very tight bodysuit. It's not a pretty picture. But anyway, she's teaching this. And she's basically saying, if you're white, you're a racist. And basically teaching that all white people are racist. That's what critical race theory teaches you. So if you're white, you are a racist. That's what it's teaching. And it's been indoctrinated for years now because it's embedded into the federal government. The federal the grants that are giving to the given to the universities. Then you've got companies that have kowtowed to this political thought, this political correct thinking, and they've got to do something because, oh my gosh, if they don't, they're not going to get federal business because federal federal Grants have been given to universities to produce this critical race theory. So it's in the curriculum. So if you want to do business with the federal government, you got to have this in your business. Well, Trump just eliminated all that. Trump just pulled the rug out from these critical race theory people. He just pulled the rug out from this group of people teaching white people how to be guilty, that they are guilty just because they are white. Trump just pulled. This is huge. I mean, the the impacts of this haven't been felt yet, nor have they been discussed in the media yet. But this is huge. So this pulls the rug out from this whole nonsense of telling white people that they are racist because they're white. Because you have ever thought, how how did this come about? How do people do this? Well, this is how through this critical race theory teachings. 
being funded by the federal government through the universities, people are taught to be guilty. And then it goes down into our children. How much of this has got into public education? So critical race theory is a bad thing. It just is a bad thing because it teaches white people and it tells white people that they're bad for being white. Now, when you start doing that, that's when you start wedging groups apart from each other. That's when you see something like the BLM can become so large and so popular. That's why you see all these white suburban kids that are marching for BLM with their fist in the air for whatever, you know, basically telling other white people, if you don't put your fist in the air to BLM, you're a racist. If it's allowed in one aspect of our life culturally, it'll start seeping into all aspects of our life culturally. And this is what the left wants. This is their plan. It's psychops. It's psychologically getting you to feel guilty for who you are so you give power away. And I'm not saying white should have power. No way am I saying white power in any way, shape, or form. I don't believe one race is genetically superior to another. I don't believe in that racism is the, should be the prevalent thought, and I don't believe it is. I don't believe we are a racist nation. In fact, I, I think we are everything other than a racist nation. We are the only nation on this planet with this much diversity. Name another country. The PBL podcast at gmail.com is my email address. Name another country, the size of the United States, the impact of the United States, the power of the United States, the influence of the United States that is more diverse. You can't. And President Trump just neutered critical race theory. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the PBL Podcast. Woody and I so do appreciate your listenership. Uh, one ask, Woody's ask, his one wolf is please subscribe, follow, share, uh, and rate this podcast or whatever platform you are listening to. That moves us up into the algorithm, and it is the magic algorithm that makes everything happen in our lives today. So you can help us, us being Woody and I, Woody's a great-looking dog, by the way, and by moving us up in the algorithm, by like, sharing, uh, subscribing, and rating this podcast. And please rate us. Give us a five-star rating. If you are listening to this on Apple iTunes, it's really easy to go ahead and just click that five-star rating. Move us up in the algorithm. Do check out our website, thepblpodcast.com. All of our social media links are there. You can follow me on Twitter. Interact with me on Twitter. The handle is the PBL Podcast, as well as on TikTok. And now the TikTok's going to be American. Hey, you don't have to worry about the Chinese. Get on TikTok. Have some fun with us on TikTok. I say us because there are a lot of conservative voices on TikToks, and they are not taking any crap anymore from the left. And it is a beautiful thing to behold. Again, my handle there is the PBL Podcast. And uh, the, the host name is E. Vandervliet. Hey, you want to know where that name is? Uh, let me track back, give a little history of the name. I'm at the tail end of the show. But my family has been in the United States since 16. 40. I had a great, 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 how many greats? They're going to be grandfather that came over in 1640 as a soldier from the Netherlands, and his last name was Van Der Vliet. Now, there were two clans that came over about the same time, the Van Der Vliet clan and the Van Vliet clan. <coughs> Excuse me. So the Van Der Vliet clan 
kept the Vanderbilt name for quite a while until about the I guess late 1800s, and so they are not to be confused with the Van Vliet clan. Decided just dropped it to Vliet. So the original name is Vliet, but I like the Vanderbilt, so I've adopted that. And so Vanderbilt clan, we have been here since 1640 before. America became America. We were in the New Netherlands colony, which was taken over, uh, acquired by the British uh, through, not through violence, but through strength. They came in with their ships and guns and said, hey, we're taking you over or else. And since the New Netherland colony did not have a military large enough to thwart the British, they had to unfortunately acquiesce. And this is why... My relatives and several of the New Netherlander colonists sided with uh, the founding fathers with the revolution and became a part of the revolution. I've actually had family members who fought in the revolution, have a famous uh, captain, Daniel Vliet, who fought in the revolution. And his son, Garrett Vliet, went on to be a general in the new army. Uh, for the new country that in became America. So yeah, my family's been here for a long time. So the Vanderbilt name carries on in this lowly little podcast with his wonderful sidekick, Woody. All right, thanks for listening to this, and uh, you have a wonderful day. This is a gorgeous time of year. Fall is so wonderful. So enjoy the weather wherever you are. Hopefully it's beautiful. And if it's not, it's all part of the plan. So every day is a beautiful day. God bless.